Welcome to the Persistence of Memory podcast, episode number two, with Vince Darty and Bruce Darty. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Vince. In this episode, we want to define our terms. Our podcast is dedicated to a study and examination of church history and restoration history. And to help define terms, we want to use an article written from the time period of the restoration movement itself. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the article and, and the writer? All right. The article that we're going to be looking at, it is entitled The Reformation for Which We Are Pleading. What is it? It was written by Moses Lard in uh, April of 1863. And let me give just a little bit of a background on Moses Lard as we look at this article this morning. Moses Lard was a, a complex individual. Uh, his biography uh, has uh, laid out a lot of very ironical things that happened in Lard's life. Uh, really, we can't oversimplify it. And today, it's not our purpose to go into a long examination of his life. But uh, just to understand who he was, and then as we look at his article, uh, our listeners can have a better appreciation of him. Lard was born in Bedford County, Tennessee in 1818. Uh, when he was 11 years old, his family moved to Missouri, but uh, his father soon died of smallpox, and uh, his mother was left with six small children and a farm. Uh, unscrupulous neighbors took advantage of her, and she lost the farm, and so she had to divide up her family. And Lard and a brother of his were shipped out to live with other other people. Uh, and uh, so he had a tough upbringing. And as he grew, Lard was like a lot of uh, young people. He was more interested in hunting and fishing than he was in religion. Uh, many of his neighbors uh, believed he was destined for the hangman's noose. But Lard's conditions changed when he read a copy of Walter Scott's The Gospel Restored. And a short while later, Lard was baptized by a preacher by the name of J.P. Lancaster, who used the Bible to win people to Christ rather than recounting fictitious experiences and testimonials. Lard always gave credit to Scott for first teaching him the gospel and to Lancaster for first preaching it to him. After he was older, and as he was older and uh, had a family with children, he decided to, to go to Bethany College, where a fellow Christian encouraged him to uh, attend and said he would support him. And so Lard, uh, along with his wife and two children, uh, went to Bethany College in West Virginia. There he enjoyed three years of close acquaintance with Campbell uh, and others at Bethany. Uh, after graduation, Large returned to Missouri and took up full-time ministry and preaching. Uh, J.W. McGarvey called him that prince of preachers, and it was a, where he had gained a reputation acknowledged as having few equals in the pulpit. McGarvey said as a speaker, when at his best, he was the most eloquent I have ever heard. His descriptive powers were unsurpassed, and he often stirred the depth of our souls till our hearts would almost burst. There was one time that Lard had a very famous sermon on the prodigal son. And as Lard made this lesson uh, and he spoke of the return of the prodigal son, nearly all the audience turned to look at the back of the church and the door as they expected the prodigal son to return. And that's how eloquent he had described uh, the situation. But the irony in Lard's life was found as he was an avowed pacifist during the time of the Civil War. And as a result, he moved away from a very turbulent uh, uh, situation in Missouri and then to Kentucky, which proved to be, again, uh, just as turbulent. And then finally, he moved to Canada to escape the turmoil and bloodshed. And then after the war was over, he returned to Lexington to Kentucky, which would be the home for the rest of his life. Lard's enduring legacy is as an author and an editor. 
and uh, Lard published and edited two journals, uh, his quarterly that we take an article from today and later, uh, the Apostolic Times. Again, McGarvey said as a writer, he was master of a style seldom equaled, and some of his essays published in Lard's quarterly were equal in literary merit to the finest productions of uh, the literature of the day. Lard's writing career was capped off by his writing a commentary on the Book of Romans. It was the fruit of more than 10 years of research, planning, and writing, and this commentary proves to be a work which continues to have a lasting value in regard to his methodology and how he went about making his commentary, as well as the textual analysis that he made. Lard's last days were filled with intense pain as he suffered from stomach cancer, and his last words were, there is not a cloud between me and my heavenly father. Hmm. He died on June 18, 1880. The article we're looking at is from Large Quarterly. Uh, the Quarterly had a short life, only of five years, but and it was started in the midst of the Civil War, which would have been a difficult time to start any endeavor. But uh, in the first issue, he had an article entitled The Reformation for Which We're Pleading, What Is It? And as we have a show this morning dedicated to this idea of trying to help people to understand what is meant by the idea of restoration, uh, I could think of no better article uh, from one of the people of the time period uh, trying to explain what this is about. Let's begin reading. We cannot perhaps more appropriately initiate our quarterly than by an essay on the foregoing question. That is, what are we pleading for? Some statement certainly is demanded of the objects we as a people have heretofore been and are still aiming at. When we think of uh, the difference between reformation and restoration, perhaps one of the best illustrations I could use is uh, to talk a little bit about this idea of, uh, you know, there are people who restore cars and there are also people who modify cars. Uh, you can see people who uh, make hot rods using old antique car bodies, yet putting in the modern engines, uh, transmissions, uh, radios, and all of these kind of things, power steering, power brakes, that uh, the original car didn't have. Uh, those would not be restorations. Uh, they are modifications. They're reformations. They're reforming the car. Uh, and uh, and many times making it into a very nice vehicle, but that's not a restoration. A restoration of the car would be to take it to its first pristine, uh, you know, existence. And while it may not have any of the modern conveniences, it would have preserved for it uh, that which was in the original model and the original design. Uh, I hope that helps our listeners understand a little bit about the difference here in reformation and restoration. Uh, Dad, what if someone says, hey, I like the hot rod version better than the restored version? Oh, that's a, that's a good, uh, good uh, question. It is where, again, we understand uh, if we're talking about just man-made things, then our preference would be all right. When we're talking about divine things and what God has made, then I do not think we are free to modify things. And if we modify things, we're casting, I think, uh, doubt on the wisdom and the foreknowledge of God that God could not give to man something that would be perfect through the ages. Yeah, I like that car restoration illustration. It's I'm bringing it back to the Model T or the Model A or whatever came off of uh, the assembly line. I'm not making it into uh, a street rod, hot rod, like someone might like to do. If I'm talking about restoration, bringing it back to that original. All right, uh, let's get back to the article then. All right. Uh, 
as Lord said, there were there was the necessity of a statement to, to tell uh, what uh, they were aiming at in this restoration idea. Lord went on to say in his first paragraph, but these objects of what they're aiming at have, have either not been perceived by large numbers of our contemporaries, or if perceived by them, they have been grossly misconstrued. Yeah, I think a lot of times people can have some ignorance, or even if we start talking about the restoration, there can be uh, misconceptions. If um, if I'm talking about restoring the church back and restoring it back to the beginning, does that mean I have to go back to you know first century sandals and camels and all those things? All right, that's another good question. And uh, again, people through the centuries have uh, have thought that when somebody uh, speaks of restoring ancient Christianity or primitive Christianity or New Testament Christianity, that we're arguing for a lifestyle of that first century. And uh, again, that's not what the restoration is about. It is about understanding that uh, there will always be the changes that happen from culture and time. But uh, again, those things aren't the essence of what God's New Testament church was about. And when uh, when Jesus promised to build his church there in Matthew 16, 18, and then it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, uh, it was not about uh, creating the first century world uh, to for this church and to repeat that over and over again through the centuries and through different cultures. But it is to take what is the essence of that church and then have it in the, the culture in which we live today. Yeah, that's a hard thing to separate what's cultural, what's essential. and, and But it's a worthy study. And yes. um, we got to do that. Yes. And, and uh, again, uh, this always reminds us that we need to have great humility as we make this kind of a study and this kind of uh, this kind of uh, pursuit. Absolutely. All right. Let's go on to some other things he talks about. All right. As Lard uh, continued, he said, uh, again, one of the misconceptions was some people thought that uh, they were trying to f form a new sect. And uh, because we don't use the word sect very much, I'm going to just use uh, what is the, our equivalent today, which is the word denomination. Uh, he said the object of the reformation we are endeavoring to effect is not the formation of a new denomination. In fact, uh, Lard said the existence of denominations and hostile parties in Christendom is one of the sorest curses with which it has been afflicted. Far more truthfully, could it be said that a leading object with us was the extinction of all denominations? Yeah, he is calling for the end of the denominations. He's saying, don't get it wrong. We're not one uh, that's come on and we're just going to add to our number. Uh, I don't know what uh, I know. There are people who keep statistics about how many different denominations have been uh, through the centuries and still present today. It's in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Uh, and he says, we're not, uh, that's not our aim to have uh, another denomination. All right. And, and again, some people think that uh, all denominations are, uh, are okay with Christ and they try to explain it. I, I don't know if you've ever heard someone talk about that uh, uh, Christianity is the tree and the denominations are just different branches within that tree. Uh, and it is where we need to understand again, that Jesus, yes, is the true vine, John chapter 15, but his disciples, his individual followers are the branches, not different uh, bodies believing different things and practicing different things. Uh, if we saw an oak tree that had pine branches and apple branches and peach branches and uh, and uh, sycamore branches and any other kind of branch you could put on that one oak tree, we would say that's a monstrosity. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's what people uh, sometimes forget 
when they try to justify denominationalism. Yeah, I think about it as, you know, Christ is the head of the church. Uh, what if you have Christ at the head and then you have all these different bodies? Uh, that's, a, that's a monstrous uh, looking illustration as well. Um, uh, but when we look at this, he, he said, we're not, we're not making another denomination. That's not the goal. That's not the aim. Right. And this is where, again, to appreciate what Lard and the Restoration people were doing in the early 19th century, in the first half of the 19th century, is to understand the religious world of their time. And he, he states in this article, the so-called religious world then was not the state intended by the founder of Christianity. When Jesus promised to build his church, and then he fulfilled that promise, and it was one church in the first century. Uh, that is not what we have today. And certainly that is not the intention uh, desired or designed by Christ. And so the divided religious world uh, has been a part of the problem as we seek to uh, be pleasing to God today. And through the centuries, the divisions between Catholic and Protestant, the divisions in the Protestant world, uh, as Lord says, amidst, in the midst of this fierce commotion, half political, half religious, but in no sense Christian, the true gospel and spirit of Christ were completely lost sight of. Yeah, when you read in your Bible, you know, uh, Matthew 16, I'm going to build my singular church. Uh, Jesus uh, prays in John 17 that we might all be one. Uh, and that's not, you know, if I'm looking at the different denominations and there's practices here and there's practices here, there's practices completely contrary to another, I don't see oneness. Um, and like you said, and when Jesus establishes church and his disciples are following in that, it's not like I can leave the church and go down the street and go to a different one. But that's the case that you see today. And I hope that people can see this. This is not like like um, Lard is saying, this is not the intention of, of its founder. Right. And uh, again, the reality of our existence with the church on every corner uh, is not what we read of and find in the pages of the New Testament. Now, Lard goes on to talk about the good that he sees in his religious neighbors of the day. Uh, in this article, he says, we greatly admire the strictness with which the Presbyterians raise their children. He says the zeal of the Methodists is certainly uh, worthy of a better call. He says, we duly honor the man who is not uh, ashamed to enter the humblest African ca uh, cabin uh, to share his message of life and deliverance. And he says, we highly commend the simple worship of the Baptist and sincerely admire their faith, earnest trusting faith in God. And uh, he says, still, in all of this, in the good that we see in religious neighbors, as long as these parties existed as denominations and dividing the one body of, the, of Christ, the redemption of the world could never be achieved through them. And so hence it was felt that a grand necessity had arisen for uh, exchanging them by something better, that is, the one body of Christ. Yeah, I, I stand with Lord and what he says there. Yeah, just think about what Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, as he stood in the shadow of the cross the night before his crucifixion, where Jesus prayed and he says, uh, I do not pray for these alone, John 17, 20, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that is the word of the apostles, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. This plea for unity uh, is certainly not fulfilled in the denominations of our world. Yeah, and like with that, what Jesus prayed for, the watching world who's looking at uh, the world of Christianity, they can't... 
you know, if there's so many different denominations and uh, like I said, hundreds of thousands, it's going to make my head spin. Where is the truth in all of this? Um, and you could get frustrated and lost and say, I'm just throw up my hands and say, well, I'm not going to be a part of, they can't even get on the same page themselves. Yes. And, uh, the division in the Christian world has always been a testimony against, uh, the Christian world. And so Lord said, we needed a change in this. Lard went on also to talk about some other obstacles that got in the way of this oneness that Jesus uh, was pleading for. And he said part of this was due to the mindset of the clergymen of the day. He said that these clergy talked of a special call to the ministry with as much face as if it had been a commendable thing to lie. They boldly affirmed their rank and qualifications to be of God and pronounced their neighbors heretics who descended from them with as little scruple as if they were unfallen angels. These assumptions gave them great power over the common people. Such was their influence over the masses that the right of private judgment was virtually abandoned. The interpretation of the Holy Scriptures they claimed as their inalienable right, and hence the common people left them unread, and consulted the clergy to learn their duty, much as they did their physician in questions of gout. Another tradition and another obstacle uh, Lard describes in his article was about tradition. And he said tradition had accumulated onto the Bible and it, and it had made it so that its broad truths and fine distinctions were shrouded in obscurity. Its plainest precepts were set aside to make room for the commandments of men, while by many it was even dishonored as a dead letter. No book will ever be much read or much cherished, which is not understood, and 40 years ago as now. He who took his faith from the Bible was treated as a heretic, while he who collated his creed from other sources was held as orthodox. In nothing did the religious world more need a reformation at the time than in the method then current of studying the Holy Scriptures. Yeah, coming back to, you know, the restoration or hot rod illustration, you know, uh, you can maybe think about it this way. The clergy become these expert mechanics. Only I have the ability to work on your car. And you, you see that a lot of times today with cars that you, they don't let you do much work on. But, you know, they become these experts and you, common people, the laity, so to speak, you don't have any uh, need to open your Bible to study for yourself, to uh, see whether these things were true or not. Uh, just leave that up to me. And again, that's where uh, that puts a lot of trust in a guide who might be guiding you in the right way, but who might also be leading you in the wrong way. And if you are not taking the pains and the efforts to examine these things, then you might be misled. You remember what Jesus called the, the people of his day, that they were blind people following blind guides? Well, just because, you're, just because you're following a guide, if he's blind too, you're going to both end up in the ditch. And ultimately, the danger then is each individual person stands before judgment and is judged based on themselves. It's not based on, well, he told me <laughs> we, we can't be putting it off on anyone else, but in a certain sense, we need to make sure we really understand that I'm accountable for my soul. And uh, that's a huge danger when you look at the, the ignorance uh, a lot of times of common people and then that uh, issue of clergy thinking they're on some level like a fall, uh, like an angel. Um, how, how do I think we still see some of these issues today? How do we fight back? How do we overcome uh, these issues of the, the kind of that clergy laity system? Well, well, first of all, I think we've got to help people to understand that God gave the Bible for all men to be able to read and, again, to be led.
be the and the illumination that we need as david said long ago in psalm uh, 119 thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path that's uh, one of the verses we we've taught ellis already psalm 119 verse 105 he knows it all right and that's got to be the attitude that people approach the scriptures with and again, I think one of the greatest problems, and maybe we can talk about this in a future episode on our, on our program here. One of the greatest problems that continues the, to this day is this clergy laity division, thinking that only the experts uh, are those capable of handling the scriptures. Going back to Lard's article, he said, we have a distinct recollection of listening for nearly 20 years to the preaching of the day. And during that entire period, we heard not even one discourse calculated to teach the people how to study the Holy Scriptures. Indeed, where neither preacher nor people know their value, it is not strange that they gave themselves but little trouble to understand them. And uh, so when something is not valued and appreciated, nor taught how to uh, examine this, then uh, the Bible is not going to be much read. Uh, I've heard people call it the, uh, the Moses effect, where the people are afraid to go up on the mountain. And they say, you, Moses, you go up and you talk and you. And so he gets that divine, you know, uh, the commandments given to him. And, and then he kind of becomes that mediator. Well, you know, Jesus is uh, we're under a new system and the veil has been torn. There's no separation. We can go and God has revealed everything uh, to us. If we will open it up and examine those things for ourselves we we don't need the moses uh figure to go up for us returning to lard's article one more thing or a couple more things that he talked about that were obstacles that got in the way of going and returning to the uh, to the bible for understanding the church he said creeds and confessions of faith had accumulated to such an extent that libraries groaned beneath their weight and heads were turned by their contents. And uh, though originally they had been made to uh, control disputes, they served rather to fan the flame of religious discord. And instead of uniting the friends of Christ in a fraternal affection, they estranged the children of God one from another and reared between them doctrinal and practical barriers insuperable to pious and conscientious defense. Whatever defense can be made for creeds and to an enlightened reason, Lard said there is none. He said they are an impeachment of the word of God as a sufficient rule of faith and practice. They are a virtual declaration, either that Christ would not provide such a rule for his people or that he has not done it. And so it was an indictment of the Bible as being inadequate. Well, I'm, I'm so thankful we have passages like uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, where his divine power has given us all things for light that pertain to life and godliness. He's given it. He's not held any of it back. We have a complete system that God has revealed to us in his word. And so because of that completeness, uh, creeds and confessions of faith are unnecessary. And as we can see, even detrimental. One last thing before Lard goes into his, uh, into his pursuit of what he's about in answering his question, he talks about the barrier of superstition. And uh, his day, like our day, was a day of superstition and claiming of experiences and uh, in, in many ways, <laughs> very similar to what Paul described in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 17 in the city of Athens, where there were a whole lot of uh, very demon-fearing, superstitious people. He said that the people had become persuaded that religion was a thing to be got and a thing to be lost, like a dinner or a sock a thing inexplicable before the getting, and a thing inexplicable after. I had an old-time preacher in West Virginia one time talk about uh, people's religion of, the, uh, of a certain nature, and he said, if looked for, it cannot be found. If found, 
it cannot be known that it is found. And if lost, you never had it to begin with. <laughs> that's pretty accurate uh, description here of what uh, Lard is talking about. Do you still see some of that kind of superstition and mysticism prevalent in the Christian religious world today? Well, I think it's creeping in more and more. Our secular world has become uh, more and more uh, looking for alternative sources because we've turned away from the Bible. But, uh, you know, uh, things rush in to fill a gap. The, and, the ignorance, I think, helps when I'm not reading, I'm not looking for what these people did uh, in the first century, um, then I start to add in things from popular culture or my own fancies. Um, and I think even people play on the, the ignorance and it creates that uh, superstition and mysticism. Religion is a thing to be got. <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. And, and I think that, uh, like we see it in the, in the secular world growing, uh, I think that is happening uh, still in uh, what we call the Christian world as well, uh, because of uh, how worldly Christianity has become today. Uh, those kind of uh, things, I think, will continue to be something that uh, we've got to be uh, seeking to overcome. Well, getting well, back to... Let me ask one more question. You know, there's issues, there's uh, denominations, clergy, ignorance, and superstition. It seems almost like, you know, Lard's plea for the one body. Is it even possible, I guess, is a question that, that comes to my mind. Well, again, some people might throw their hands up and say that's impossible. Um, but... When we see a lot of counterfeits out there, that ought to tell us that the genuine article is there. Um, I've used this illustration, and you've probably heard it before. Uh, why are there no $3 bills? <laughs> well, there's no genuine $3 bill, and so nobody makes a copy of that which is already understood not to be genuine. But there are all kinds of counterfeit $10, $20, $50 bills, uh, because people know those are genuine articles. And when we see the hundreds, perhaps even into the thousands or uh, of copies of Christianity, uh, it tells us the genuine is out there. And so we need to keep looking for it. And we need to trust the promise of Jesus. I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Uh, and uh, to understand as well that uh, in the prophecy that Daniel gave in Daniel 2.44, uh, the God of heaven in the days of those kings was going to set up a, a kingdom which would never be destroyed. And so despite the uh, accumulation of all these things that have obscured the original, we need to still trust in God that his, his church can be found. Well, let's get back to Lard's article and what Lard was looking for. In reply to the question, he said, uh, it was decided that the Reformation, the restoration demanded, must take its rise in the expressed will of Christ. That is, where are you going to start to build this, uh, build this return uh, and this idea? You go back to the will of Christ as expressed in his New Testament. He said, this is now the supreme law of both doctrine and practice. And it is with this, uh, the uh, again, the efforts then most, must be both doctrinal and practical as far as having the right doctrine, uh, but also having then the right practices that flow from this. And, and uh, he says in the next section, he says the Reformation, he, we're talking about the Restoration, should look as a complete return to primitive Christianity. Yes. I'm not making modifications. I'm not looking for the hot rod. I'm looking for the complete restoration of that uh, vehicle. 
Yes. And, and again, this is because we're talking about something divine, not something human. If it was something created by, by me, certainly it could be improved on because <laughs> Bruce is not infallible and Bruce is not all knowing. But if it's something created by God, then why would we try to modify it? And so uh, Lord went on to say, say, he says, to believe precisely what the scriptures teach and to practice only what they enjoin and to reject everything else. This is what was proposed by Mr. Campbell and his brethren. At this point, someone might say, um, we, you're throwing a lot of people maybe under the bus, but aren't we all just practicing the same thing? Aren't we, don't we all believe the same thing? Uh, aren't we all just part of this umbrella altogether? That's a good, uh, good question. And again, it's, it's one in which everybody believes the Bible. Uh, my Roman Catholic friends believe the Bible. Uh, my uh, neighbors who go to various Protestant churches believe the Bible. Everybody claims the Bible. But uh, the important thing is that while we claim the Bible and claim our religion is derived from the Bible, the assumption that a lot of people go on is that the things I'm doing are found in the Bible. And uh, many times that assumption is wrong. And uh, this is what the restoration movement has demonstrated. Uh, we've assumed things like the clergy laity division. We've assumed things like infant baptism uh, and original sin. And we've assumed other kind of things that they're all in the scriptures. Well, uh, if they're really there, then why do we have all these different practices and different beliefs? And that's where, again, we've got to be examining, you know, think of 1 Thessalonians 17 uh, and the, the description there in verses 10 and 11 of the noble Bereans. They examined the scriptures, whether these things were so. Yeah. Uh, they weren't just going to accept the preacher's word or the rabbi's word or the priest's word or uh, the pastor's word. They were looking at the scriptures to see the truth of these things. And Paul's words were checkoutable. <laughs> he he had, you know, there's something I can go back and reference to. Uh, imagine, you know, you have a system of laws and everyone's uh, operating on different systems of laws. Uh, you can't keep anything straight and nobody knows what's right or wrong. And it, all it does is cause division and confusion. All right, and so uh, Lard then took great pains to talk about the theory and the practice uh, of what we see regarding the, the identification of the church. And he said in the present essay, we mean by the word theory, that is what the Holy Scriptures teach. They contain a revelation of the mind or the will of God to man. And he said a theory is exact when through its whole extent it corresponds uh, to the divine original uh, to the divine original and so you want to have an exact theory and he said to do any less would be uh, to dishonor god and he says it's even difficult to uh, see how god would even accept uh, anything less than the than the correct whole theory as it's presented in scripture. Yeah, I like, uh, I know you've used this uh, illustration several times. You can't take the Burger King style to religion, you know, have it, have it your way. Um, if God has specified it, that's how he wants it. And we should honor the way in which God has specified. But it is this idea then that the Bible presents to us the the theory or the model of this uh this church and they, so he went on to say the bible then being assumed true we hold that its contents may be so apprehended that the mind has in the act the highest possible assurance that its knowledge uh, is correct it is the truth thus known that makes us free and fills the heart with joys so exquisitely pleasurable that renders the life of the enlightened Christian the pure foretaste of the life to come. Jesus says, you know, in the, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
um, to know the truth and to know you know the truth. That is that joyous type of thing where I know what what is going on. I know what is being taught and I can comprehend it. There's, you know, some sad things in the world where people think, well, this is God's word, but I can't even understand it. Um, God's word was meant to be understood. Yes. And that's what Lard speaks of in his article, uh, that God speaks in words that we can comprehend. And so he said, uh, when we've got the theory or the model or the vision of what God had in uh, of his intent for the church, he said, then it is a man's theory that determines his practice. And it follows that if his theory be defective, his practice must uh, be so too. And his practice will never rise above his theory. And so he said, we hold the idea to have a strict adherence to this theory that is proposed in the Bible, and then a practice as nearly conformed to it as possible. And he says, in this case, the practice may always lag behind, always approaching its perfect standard, but in this life, never completely attaining it. And so there again is, uh, I think, uh, an acknowledgement of humility to say that we see what we see in the Bible, but we don't always live up to that. But that's what we're striving for. Right. Uh, the striving for needs to keep the high standard that God has, not lower the standard for my for my uh, my sin or something like that. Yeah, Jesus says, "Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." All right, and that's a high standard. That's you know we're to keep it perfectly, uh, but it's a daily, continual walk of uh, slowly perfecting into that 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 perfection that we find in God. Not that it's going to be attained, but it is what that practice deserves. And because uh, practice sometimes lags behind theory, Lord said that, that he and his fellow uh, Christians were frequently accused of believing in and having only a religion of the head. And he said, uh, we are even accused not only having a religion merely of the head, but also of seriously serious delinquencies in matters of duty. And again, he says, we do not claim to have been faultless in practice. But what he was saying is our practice is not worse than that of other people. But he was saying our theory is better. Our vision of what the New Testament was and the church of God's intent was better. And he said it's better that the defect should exist in our practice than in our theory. And if our theory be exact, the practice will always be growing better. It's a good thing to point out and and not taking anything away, but if there's a better thing to have, is it better to have the right theory or the right practice? You want to have both, obviously, but he says, I need to make sure I have the perfect, the the better theory and the practice uh, then can come along. Well, as Lord goes on uh, to explain, he says this idea of restoring the church is a slow work and it requires patience. And he says, let no one despair because our practice is not brought up to a perfect standard uh, in a day. He says, uh, we are not here to try to modify the theory, but to conform to it. And so he says, we must first have our theory, uh, then our practice. And then this practice he describes in very positive uh, ways. He says, our faith should be clear and strong our piety deep and pure, our love intense and large, and our devotion to God cordial and uniform, and our practice a simple and faultless conformity to the will of Christ. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a simplistic, simplistic, right? Um, I think a lot of times when you know you might invite someone to the church. Uh, and they come and they, they don't see maybe instrumental music. They don't see uh, these uh, huge buildings or, or something like that. And they might be, you know, overwhelmed or underwhelmed with uh, just the, the, the view in which they see. 
but we want to just very simply and humbly and piously uh, connect to our God. And um, that's what we try to do with, with the Church Christ. Yeah, uh, it's not because we're going to have an attractive building or a highly ornate formal worship. Uh, in fact, in many ways, our worship is very informal. But it's not also going to be just jumping around in the Holy Roller uh, Pentecostal excitement or the rock bands that a whole lot of people uh, get into today. It is in the life of very simple uh, and and not not to use the word simplistic, but it is uh, simple uh, enough that the average person can understand and can say, as uh, Paul said, even in First Corinthians 14, that uh, the unbeliever can come in and see the worship and say, God is here. Mm -hmm. Well, in conclusion, uh, Lard boiled everything down to uh, two final paragraphs in answer to his question about what we're pleading for. He says, we're now prepared to answer more definitely and fully the question standing at the title of this article. The reformation for which we are pleading consists first in accepting the exact meaning of the Holy Writ as our religious theory. This is held as the doctrine of the Holy Scriptures, the thing taught in them, and hence the thing to be believed or the matter of faith. Hence, human elements are absolutely excluded from our theory. Reason may determine what is said in God's word, not what ought to be said. We accept as our creed the contents of his word without enlargement, contraction, or modification. Such is the matter of our theory. In the second place, he said, it consists in the minute conformity of our practice to the revealed will of Christ. Such is the second feature of restoration. And hence all practices having their origin in tradition, human reason, or expediency are utterly rejected. In other words, the Reformation consists in an effort to induce or to plea for all the truly pious in Christ to become perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment by accepting as doctrine precisely and only what is either actually asserted or necessarily implied in the Bible, to speak the same things by speaking what the Bible speaks and to speak them in the language of the Bible and to practice the same things by simply doing the will of Christ. Thus it is proposed continually to construct the body of Christ after the divine model. I don't have any way to improve upon, I think, what, what Moses Large said here. Uh, he gives us the definition of what that restoration movement was all about. And uh, in large parts, maybe in full part, I stand where he stands. And we have to have the right theory and then conforming those practices on a day-to-day -day basis. Any other thoughts you had uh, kind of wrapping up? Again, it's important to understand what we're aiming at. And that's what Lard's article was all about. It's important to explain ourselves to our religious neighbors. Think of uh, what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. Sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in your heart and be prepared to give an answer to every man who asks of you the, a reason for the hope that lies within you, yet with meekness and fear. And uh, that's what we've been trying to do in our program today. Well, besides listening uh, to the podcast, what are some other ways in which we can uh, get in contact with you if uh, we have questions or things that uh, are sparked in our attention from some of the things we've talked about? Again, we appreciate uh, listeners and we appreciate genuine questions from listeners who might be interested in what we've been talking about as a return to New Testament Christianity. Um, again, I'm a preacher for the Bevel Road Church of Christ in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, BRChurchofChrist.com is our uh, website and uh, 
uh, emails can be directed there uh, as well as uh, as calls to the church office. And uh, you can get in contact with me by my email. I know this is produced on the Anchor podcast, and uh, my email is on there. Uh, But you can also see me uh, on Facebook and share a message with me there, ask a question. And um, we hope that there's some things that challenge you in this this podcast episode. And, uh, if you have questions, uh, ask them and, uh, maybe they're worthy enough to, to talk about and, and field those questions in a later episode. Um, one more thing to think about too, are some things that are in the written word, uh, dad, tell them about your website as well. Okay. I have a website called Ohio Valley restoration research. Uh, where I try to share a lot of the fruit of my research, but also the research of other people uh, on a website uh, that uh, speaks to uh, restoration and and the restoration ideas and practices in a specified uh, location, geographical location of the country. But by necessity, it's linked to other studies in restoration history and, uh, of course, even to church history incidents and uh, and things that uh, went before. So all of these things are uh, are addressed at that website, OhioValleyRestorationResearch.com. More and more resources, uh, good things. Um, last thing, and then we'll be, be through. Um, we're... Give me a little sneak peek of next week's episode. Well, as we've chosen this week to define terms, uh, next week we want to look at an aspect of uh, that uh, restoration, which is in how do we handle Scripture? Um, It is, uh, again, uh, when we talked about our roots and where we have been and how we have arrived to the place we are today, a lot of that has happened because of how we have looked at scripture. And so we're going to look at that uh, hopefully in our program for next week. Yeah, Lord willing, we'll be back next week and uh, have another episode for you. This has been the Persistence of Christian Memory podcast with Bruce Darty and Vince Darty. We thank you for listening. Be thou my baby.